the real life game changers. This is where we are scouring the earth to find people who are changing the game and what we call the five freedoms, financial, physical, mental. Tonight, we're going to go into emotional and spiritual. So you are in for an absolute treat. So let's have a look and make sure that we are live. Uh, what we want to start seeing is for the people who are live, just hit some comments. Uh, let me know where you are. And then let's start tagging some people, shall we? Because tonight we are in for a massive, massive treat. Like you cannot even uh, realize. Hey, hold on, just here. Here we go. Let's get some people who love the mindset. For anyone who is a believer that mindset is a large part of the game, if not the whole of the game, then you want to start tagging them in it because this one is going to be a game changer, funnily enough. So as soon as you guys are on here, let's start commenting so I can see you. And uh, we're going to get straight into it because we've got so much to cover. So our guest tonight on this panel is uh, has a PhD in cognitive neuropsychology. Yeah, I got that, right? I got that. Yeah, and uh, specializes uh, in the difference between the left and the right sides of the human brain. So I've heard lots of different examples when it comes to left brainers, like, uh, you know, logical stuff, right brainers is the, is the creative side. So I am excited to get into this. And when I was reading Chris's book, I was like, this guy, he must come on. He's got so much value to share. People need help waking up because we know just because people got out of bed, it doesn't mean they actually woke up. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on here. It's an absolute pleasure. And I'm excited about this session. Thanks. Yeah. So, look, Chris, give us a little bit of background about yourself. Like, you know, wh wh where, where did you enter the world and uh, what was life like growing up and what got you in to what we're going to be talking about tonight? Yeah, all the work that I do, it really is a reflection of the experience I've had as a human being. And most of it coming into the world was not very positive. And so probably a somewhat normal kid until maybe my teens and uh, early 20s when I just turned into an absolute complete neurotic mess. Um, I mean, I, even like just having a conversation with someone, I, I might have put 20% of my attention to the conversation and 80% was focused on the absolute certainty I was going to die any second. And so I had such a really bad phobia about death. And um, and so I started diving into the self-help books. I thought a degree in psychology would help. And the degree was helpful, but it, it wasn't it. it. It didn't seem to, it wasn't any kind of magic pill or anything that just switched everything over. Then I started getting into Eastern philosophy, particularly Alan Watts. And that really seemed to be doing, it did so much more for me because the trick there was all I was, everything I did was this effort to change the situation I was in. Everything I did was to, it was non-acceptance. And, and it, the realization I had is that the more non-acceptance I had, the deeper I fell into the situation. And as soon as I had total acceptance and really just said, this is it, this is the way it is, I'm not going to fight you anymore. And I noticed in a very profound way, everything changed that moment. It was a very strange experience for me in my early 20s, where all of a sudden, when I stopped fighting what was, all the neurosis, all the fear, all the anxiety, almost immediately 
disappeared. And then I, I realized that what my anxiety was, was me not wanting to be anxious. That was the anxiety. Me not wanting to be anxious was created. It's almost like me trying to get out of the situation created the situation. And as soon as I realized that I was putting my energy into the wrong place, all of a sudden everything changed for me. And so uh, I finished the PhD. I, I really focused on left-right brain differences. And then all the work I do with this book, I actually have another book, uh, workbook on the No Self book. It's coming out. It's actually available now for pre-sale. And, um, and all the work that I do, all, it all came from that realization. All the work that I did with Eastern philosophy and being able to work in neuroscience, which was very striking to me that it was all telling the same story. And... Mm -hmm. So much of it was that this, all the effort that we put into creating an identity, none of it had any substance to it. And all that effort could be so much better spent in so many different ways. And uh, once, I, once I stopped fighting this idea that I didn't want to be neurotic, I wasn't neurotic. And all of a sudden I had this flow of information, of information, but also like creativity and um, energy. I had so much more energy in my life that I could do because I was no longer fighting this imaginary fear. And, uh, and so it was a real life changer for me and everything went into a different direction. And, um, you know, it all was reflected in what I did as a professor and, and the books that I wrote and the work that I do. So right now, that's what I uh, enjoy doing, having these types of conversations, uh, helping people realize that, uh, the mind, something I talk so much about, this thing that the left brain does, it's not the enemy. It's, it's, it's not something to fight. But so many of us, we're using it in the wrong way. And when we use it in the wrong way, that's when we get ourselves into so many different types of problems that aren't really problems. They just they feel real at the moment. I'm not trying to say that in some way that will dismiss someone's suffering. But when, but when you go through it and you realize that you are creating your own problems, then you free up resources that you never could imagine before and life changes. And all of a sudden, um, yeah, you, know, you feel reborn. Mm. And, you know, when you're saying some of these things, like I'm, I'm just like, you know, triggering parts of my life where these things start to happen, where I felt more alive, I felt more switched on, but I had no idea why I just felt, oh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm more aware. But then, you know, with the studying, the training and everything that I've, I've done, I was like, okay, then it starts to make more sense. But I just want to go back to one of the things that you mentioned, just as you was explaining there, which is like the, the mind, you know, it's not the enemy. Yeah, so I think a lot more people, or at least from what I'm seeing, are more aware that their they're not their body. Their body is like a, a vessel. Their body is, you know, something that they're existing in this world in. And it's a tool. And we've got to look after this tool and make use of it and love this human experience. Uh, but less people, I think, are realizing that the mind is also a tool. Are you in agreement with that? Or, and how would you explain, like, you know, because you talked about also putting so much attention on creating an identity. Where's the identity? Is it in the mind? Is it in the body? Like, where is it? Well, one of the things I've done in this whole spiritual trip, and, and my trip has been kind of an interesting combination of neuropsychology and spirituality and Eastern philosophy. And one of the things that seems to get left out, so when people talk a lot about the mind, but no one ever talks about where it came from, what its origins are. 
And so I got very interested in anthropology and uh, are, what, where did our, where did human beings come from? We didn't just pop up on the planet, and what we you know this body. How did it evolve? What kind of conditions did it evolve in? And so this what took me on a really interesting journey going back a couple hundred thousand years ago, and realizing that human beings were not the only human or Homo sapiens, our version of humans it wasn't we were not the only humans on the planet which is a strange thought in and of itself there were like seven eight probably many more different types of humans all walking earth at the same time and then somehow all these other different versions they went extinct and now we're the only version of humans walking the planet now and so i started really wondering why what what kind of trick did we do that allowed us to survive but no other version of humans did and one possibility is that we went under this thing called a cognitive revolution, where our brain started working in really different ways than everyone else's. And so for me, this is when I think the mind came online. And what we call the mind, this problem-solving device that works in language and is mostly the product of the left side of the brain. And it changed everything. Every, 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 our existence fundamentally changed in a very positive way because the mind helped us survive. I mean, just think for a few minutes, look outside. Imagine that there's an ice age outside, you know, glaciers and, 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 and you don't have a home. So we were hunters and gatherers. We wandered about finding food, no shoes, no coffee shops, you know, no credit card, no technology. How, do, how in the world did we ever survive? Well, one idea is that th this mind became a really efficient problem solver for the problems that we had to solve 40 to 50 to 60,000 years ago. And so the mind became a really good problem solver. And all of this is the function of the left brain. And that, and it, it was when language came online that allowed us to communicate. I mean, think about what a, how unique it is on the planet that we're able to talk right now. And I can convey ideas to you using these weird sounds and you immediately download it. It really was the first Wi-Fi, you know? It was mm -hmm. the first wireless transmission of information because we just made sounds in the air and we could communicate. And other species had a real tough time with that, but it allowed us to collect, work as a collective and organize and solve problems uh, collectively. And none of the other versions of humans, oh, and think about like Neanderthal was so much bigger physically. I mean, how could we ever, you know, compete with that. But this Wi-Fi that we invented that allowed us, you know, language, allowed us to communicate and organize and then problem solve on a collective level. And Neanderthal couldn't do that. And so uh, it was just a matter of time. They all went extinct and here we are. But here's the thing. We have this left brain problem solving device. It's trying to solve problems from tens of thousands of years ago. And we're using it in the wrong way because everything in the world has changed. We're living in a completely different reality than our ancestors lived. And yet we're using the same mind problem-solving device that was that came on the scene to solve a whole different type of problems than the, than the kind of problems that we have to solve. And so that's why the mind can feel like an enemy. I get this, it's probably the most common comment I get on my YouTube channel because I talk so much about the mind and it sounds like I'm really hard on it, like I'm really coming down on it, like, the mind is the enemy. And I can under, totally understand why people who follow me on my YouTube channel, why they think that, because it sounds like I'm really, you know, negative about what the left brain does. It's not that at all. 
all I'm trying to do is help us update it. I like to think of it as, uh, you know, we have this 50,000 year old program in our head that's never been updated. You know, it's running the same old program from 50,000 years ago. And what we desperately need as a species is to one, recognize that the mind is this old program running to solve old problems that almost none of us have these days. And two, to find some way to live with that program, update it, modify it, so it can actually be useful. So when, we, when we're in this modern world, we can actually have the best of both worlds. We can, we can have an efficient problem-solving language-based system in the left brain, but we can learn to integrate it into the modern world. And for what I've seen, there's not a whole lot on spirituality that is helping us to integrate this mind. Mm, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Definitely in the what we, what we might call the mainstream, like there's not, you know, this like we're not taught on any of that kind of mind stuff or the spirituality and all of that. Um, well, I want I, there's so much I want to ask you. Yeah, so like let's see if we can kind of quick fire some of these things. Yeah. So you talked about like uh, the Wi-Fi, yeah, and communicating through language. But what, what's your either belief or your opinion on the before there was like just telepathic communication or what's your view around that? How, how, you know, because this is far beyond someone who's just working paycheck to paycheck. We're just trying to pay their bills. They're not thinking about any of this, but like yeah. we are literally gods walking this planet in disguise. Let's face it. Uh, been the evolution, whatever, whatever the opposite of evolution is devolution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, what's, what's your opinion about that, that side of things? Well, yeah. So in the, in the first half of the book, and I, I, I seem to have picked this up. And of course the workbook is, is a, it just maps onto this is that we work a lot with the left brain, recognizing the left brain, recognizing how the thinking mind works and, and how, and the problems that it can create. But then the second half is always a focus on the right side of the brain. The right side of the brain processes in a way that almost none of us recognize. It's parallel processing. It's vast. It's, it's picking up on your body language, the tone of your voice. It's, it's listening to the music in the background. It's doing all that simultaneously. And for so many of us, that's such a strange way to process the world because we're not really used to processing in a right brain fashion. And, but, but when you do that, that's when everything gets connected. That's why, but we do, we know this, but again, the word most people would use is intuition. We know that when we go for a walk through nature, we feel better and we're not sure why. And, and, but the reason is, is that that right brain is, is connected. It's, it's, it's capable of processing so much more simultaneously than the left brain can. Uh, that's the, so here's just a real quick thing. Just so when I talk about the thinking mind, just so your listeners can get a better idea of what I'm getting at. And because the thinking mind thinks in language. And the interesting thing about language, if you're listening to me right now, I can only speak one word at a time. And so the left brain is like this tiny little spotlight and it's just covering one word at a time. And that's all it can do. But when we get, when we, we, do, we get into a different mode. So imagine you're listening to this podcast and it's all left brain because it's one thing at a time. But then you go out into your car and you start listening to music. Music is almost the exact opposite because what music does is it's all at once. You've got drum, you've got so many instruments and they're all playing and the right brain can spread attention. So it's not one thing at a time. It's many, many things all at once. And mm -hmm. so we, when we listen to music and we feel so good, music is a 
it's, it, you know, obviously I've got guitars everywhere. Music is one of my main ways that I don't think. And, you know, thinking is a great tool, but you don't want to think all day. And mm -hmm. you know, there, there's, there's different modes of human existence. And that's one of the things I really try to reach out to people with that you can think, and there's a weird paradox with this, maybe we'll get into later, because if you think all the time, and so estimates, studies do this, and estimates are we're thinking mostly useless thoughts about 50% of our waking day, and they don't go anywhere. And, and usually they're just worry. Uh, they're, they're really useless thoughts. That's because we're using the thinking mind in the wrong way. When we start using the thinking mind in the right way, we give it limited problems, very specific with a definite solution, it goes in, it solves the problem, and then we go back into this more mystical state of processing nature, processing music, proce having a conversation where maybe only a little bit is processed by the left brain, the language part, but then the right brain takes on all the body language and the emotion and the tone and, and the deeper meaning. I mean, that's the interesting thing. People often, they feel so alone and afraid in a world they never made. Yeah, some poets said that. <laughs> yeah. And because they feel disconnected. And that's because the left brain with this tiny little spotlight, it can't see where you fit in to the big picture. But when we talk about the meaning of our existence, that's all found in right brain processing because it connects us. It sees the context. It sees I'm not just, oh, you know, this disconnected part. I'm actually a part of the whole. And, and, I, and I complete the whole. Mm. I can, you know, and I'm integrated, I'm connected. And so the, all of a sudden, when you, when you get that kind of processing going, then you feel a meaningful existence, which is for so many people, that's what they're really striving towards. They, they want to feel a meaningful life. They want to feel connected. And that's just not going to happen if you keep using the left brain and you just try to force it to find meaning. Mm. It's, it's, using the, it's using the wrong tool in, in the wrong situation having so much realizations right now let's talk about your book a little bit you know self no problem yeah so you know i think people will, will have different kind of reactions to that but anybody listening watching uh wherever it is that you're going on the podcast if you're listening to this or if you're watching it live or uh, listening live right now then uh, just comment what are your thoughts on this you know what's coming to mind what is it that chris is saying that might be making you think or you to relate to certain areas of your life that's what this is about you know like let's have some realizations and let's go do something about it so let's talk about your book uh no self no problem so once i got into this book i love the part where you, you start talking about the ego um well so first of all just the, the simple question before i go into the next part like where where's the ego left side right side it's not in the mind at all where is it well, that, that's the really cool thing that neuroscience was able to contribute. And so the neuroscience's question, where is the self? Where is this idea? Because you sit back and you're like, it really does feel like there is a unique me somewhere inside my skull. And there's, of course, an identity. You know, people prefer to me as Chris and, you know, um, you know I'm a father and, um, you know, husband. So I have all these identities that... Uh, or, or kind of centered around something. And so it definitely feels like there's something there. But when neuroscience tried to poke around and find out where the self was in the brain, they couldn't find it. In fact, there was so much debate if it was even in the left or right side of the brain. Uh, and then to me, and there's a lot of debate on this, but for me, the split brain patients really helped hit this 
problem in the perfect way because when, when, when they split the brain, and so all of us, we have two sides, the left and right sides, but it's so interconnected. It's got 800 million nerve fibers connecting it. So you could almost say, you know, why would nature do this? In fact, let me give you just a quick idea why nature might have done this, and I'll go back to that. But, and you see this all through this body, and, and I totally agree with you, this idea that this is kind of a meat suit. You know, it's not who I am, it's this, but that doesn't mean I, would, I don't want to take care of it. You know, my awareness is going to be hanging out in this body for a while. So, you know, I really want to try. Oh, no, we lost Chris. That's how Chris comes up. I love what you just said. My awareness is going to be living in this body. What is it that's going to be Can you hear me? What's going on? Let's have a look. Hello? Yeah, yeah, sound is there. Sound is there. Sound is back. Is the sound back? I can hear. Yes, I can hear you now. No, it's all broken. IP, all broken up. It's back now, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like we're back. Yes, we're back. Okay, great. So, uh, gremlins, not gremlins. Yeah, we, you got me back now. Yeah, so what we were saying is like this ego, sometimes we're like in an argument, have an argument, just wanting to be right. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're thinking like, hold on a second. You know, is this really like what I want to do? Do I really want to be arguing? Do I really want to be feeling like this? And like, what is that? Is that the ego? Did we, did we come from love there? Um, is ego and love separate things? Super excited to get Chris back on uh, so we can ask him these things. By the way, put in the comments right here, what are your questions you have around the mind? Like your little voice. I, I really want to ask him about all the stuff in my morning routine. I want to ask him about how the brain may work and the mind may work when it could. I, I want to ask him, is the brain and the mind the same thing? 
Yeah, I'm interested to see what he says there. But also, I want to know what he thinks about my journey to go and win Wimbledon, the one-year road to win Wimbledon. Yeah, let me know if you've heard about my journey. I'll be going along to win Wimbledon. Just had another hour coaching session, by the way. And let me tell you something. Playing by myself versus having a coach there who's playing with me, constantly telling me, you know, to tweak this and tweak that, I get so much better so quick. I would say one hour with a coach is easily worth, depend. you know, I mean, at the minute, I would say easily worth five hours, if not more. Could be, could be even five or 10 hours of playing by myself, even though I might be getting it right in the body. But like, you know, he just came, tweaked a few things, told my arm to move like this, my feet move like this. And, and I'm wondering when Chris is talking here, like, is this something where I'm trying to operate from the left side of the brain? The left side of the brain is trying to help me get like... Um, do I, you know, do I understand throw the ball up? Do I, you know, move this first? Do I hit this serve? Yeah. Or like sometimes when it, when my coach was just like, yeah, just go for it. It's like stop, resist, just try to get you to be natural. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just hit it. Then all of a sudden, you know, it started feeling right and it started feeling good. So I'm wondering, is that, the, is that opposite? Is that operating from the right side of the brain? Yeah, if we're allowed to do what we, we, we want to do without too much interference or regulation, then there's no conflict, less worry. Yeah, here's the thing. Do we, you know, like what's someone's perception of restriction or allowed what to do or not? So I think some people's perception might be very different. Uh, it might be different in the, in the case of like, oh, hey, ah, you know, I'm not allowed to do this. I'm not allowed to do that. The government said this, the government said that. Where, like, maybe we've misunderstood the rules. Maybe we've realized, hold on a second, the rule. You know, some people might say setting up your own business is difficult, too many taxes to pay and all the rest of it. You know, if you just follow the bog standard rules, which I don't, I don't think anyone, you're definitely not teaching it in school because they don't even know themselves. Yeah, but like VAT, tax, income tax, tax efficiency, you know, how to use the tax rules, uh, to like partner with the government in terms of like what are their goals, what are their things, you know, like for example, in property, you 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 incentivize to do new, build new houses because they don't charge VAT, twenty percent discount to go and do this. Yeah, uh, to provide HMOs and studio type accommodation, you got fifteen percent discount, only five percent VAT. Um, you know, to put green energy in, you know, again VAT exempt, and other grants. Uh, and all of that to do research and development there is all the tax uh what's it called you know tax incentives but it's called something else it's just like the tax benefits yeah so there's all these different things you know to run things through your company as expenses um to to grow your business invest in your business provide people with more jobs uh which by the way i don't see the, my employees as employees i see them as partners and they all know they've got business partners or status that they can get to. You know, if people want to break down an area of the business, really systemize that and go for it, then that's what we're doing. By the way, tag genius digital marketers in here. Yes, Chris is coming back here. Oh. Good to have you. I was keeping it warm for you, Chris. Oh, yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even realize I wasn't even on. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what did how long you turn on talking for? <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yeah. So, we, you know, these things come up. Oh, you, you talked, you hit so many interesting things. Um, but let me, 
just back up a little bit because I was just talking about how we have, and I see there's some great questions there, so I definitely want to get to these. But uh, you know, why do we even have two sides of the brain? And you, you really are on track with so many of these functions of the left and right sides of the brain, how they're different. And I always think about it as like you couldn't have an off-road Corvette. And this is, you see this through nature with all kinds of different systems in the body where you couldn't have one general mechanism that could do all, do everything. So what nature does is it splits it into two different organs, two different uh, systems. One is really good at one thing and the other is really good at something, usually the exact opposite. And that's exactly why we've got two sides of the brain. You can't, you know, have a Corvette that's made to run, you know, corners really fast and it can't go off-road and an off-road you know with a very high center of gravity and all this it's not going to be able to take a corner very quickly they're they have separate goals separate functions and they look different and the architecture is different and that's what we see with the left and right sides of the brain they're they're two completely different architectures and they're, they're actually wired differently the right side of the brain has so many more connections and um and the left brain you know you mentioned stuff like rules and so we get into the left brain it's not just language it, it is actually uh, uh, the left brain is a great rule follower. It creates beliefs, it creates um, interpretations. And then you hit this other idea that was really interesting about the left brain. The left brain not just has interpretations, and this is what the split brain, I think I got cut off right then. It's not just that the left brain has interpretations, but the left brain absolutely automatically believes that they are correct and they are right. They are, they are the only interpretation. And so um, that's what they found with the split brain patients. When the disconnected left side of the brain came up with the idea, it didn't say, oh, I think this is the way it is. It had absolute 100% confidence and just said, this is the way it is. There are no alternatives. This is the truth. And so here we are with this left brain system. It, it has a very narrow focus. It creates interpretations that it doesn't believe are right. It knows that they are right, so it never entertains any other options. It is very highly susceptible to conformity. It's highly susceptible to um, not buying alternative uh, information. And so like a fixed belief system, it doesn't want to like, oh, no, I don't want to you know, go to something new. It wants to stick with it, what it knows. It loves routine. It does not like getting out of the rules. That's one thing that's really interesting. So it's not just language that's in the left brain, it's grammar and spelling. And I think this is really interesting to tell your audience kind of a funny story. We were in the car, my daughter was learning uh, for spelling bee. So she was practicing, you know, how to spell words and stuff. And I had never realized this. So here we are and I'm practicing getting her to spell all these words correctly. And, um, and she had spelled something incorrectly. And I said, well, Zoe, you know, there's a lot of ways you can spell a word. And my wife looked at me and she goes, no, there isn't. That's the whole point of a spelling bee. There's only one way to spell a word. And I realized that actually human beings, a couple famous writers actually had a little bit of freedom with this. They would spell words differently. But the left brain says, no, there's only one way to spell a word. There's only, there's only one correct grammar. So the left brain follows a very specific set of rules. It was so interesting that I heard you talk about how people, like maybe you'll have this creative idea. But then people just, it's not people. So I don't get upset with people when they, when they shut my ideas down because I know it's not them talking. It's probably this program in their left brain that wants to play it safe. Remember the main function of the left brain is survival. It doesn't want, you know, in order to survive, you have to play it safe and you have to be slightly paranoid. And so the left brain is always in survival mode. It just wants to make sure you're safe. But the problem is 
the human adventure is filled with so many interesting, creative, new things that we can do. Way, you know, we literally bring things into this universe through our creations. And that always takes an element of risk. And so when people, uh, you know, so many times I've had this in life where people are like, don't, you know, you'll never do this. Like you're talking about Wimbledon and it's such a great example because people, of course, and it's not them. And that's the interesting thing. When I talk about no self, this left brain construct that creates the identity of who we think we are, it's not who any of us are. And you can show that most of the thoughts we have every day, they're not even our thoughts. It's like this, you know, program that's just running through like whatever it, the input was. So if you watch TV or you watch the news, it's just going to repeat that input over and over again. Yeah. Let's 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 talk about that because I think if we can tap into the, what you just said there, then and then people can start using this to their benefit. I think it's going to be insane. So like let's let's understand. Okay, so I say I want to go and win Wimbledon. Like where does that have to like where does that have to happen? Is it in the mind? Is it in the body? Is it both? Is it somewhere else? You know, from all your experience through spirituality and the mind, like where is it? Where is it going to happen? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, I end the book. I every book it seems that, that I'm writing seems to end in the same way, because you say, okay, well, no self. Well, but I'm something. You know, so so what am I? And usually the way the book goes. And, I, and this is a reflection of my philosophy, is that who we are cannot be put into words in any specific or finite way. And so that means that who we are is fundamentally a mystery. And so consciousness, so really, what am I right now? Am I this meat suit, you know, this 55-year-old meat suit that's like, you know, this body? Am I the brain swimming around, you know, three pounds of goo swimming around in my skull? And neuroscience would say, you are a brain. Oh, that, you know, that's all you are is a brain. That's another question. Is the brain and the mind, what, are, they, is it, are they different things? Is it the same thing? I would suggest, and this is, again, this is where my philosophy has led me, is that this material world, all of it, you know, brains, bodies, cars, guitars, books, all the stuff that we look around and we experience in this material reality. There is a certain reality to it. I'm not going to say that it isn't real or that we're in a matrix or a simulation, although we could very well be. But <laughs> I don't take it as being the fundamental reality. And then you say, well, okay, what really is real? Let's get down to it. What is the real reality? And we don't have good words, you know, consciousness, awareness, um, uh, cosmic intelligence, uh, people may use words like God or, you know, there's all kinds of words. None of them are great because how could you possibly if, use a if we, go, if we go really deep, like these are all just things that somebody made up, you know, like all of these words, all of these references, all of the language, you know, like, you know, I spend my time, like we're very cultural, let's say in our businesses, I've got people from all over the world um and like i'm always kind of like asking them like you know, what your language is similar to theirs and i'm hearing the words and i'm like well that kind of sounds like that so i'm like we're all just kind of made like it's all just been made up like variations almost of it all and like you just said and and, and i'm glad i'm hearing it again because it's like the good data going in again it's like words could only put us in the vicinity it can never be exact yeah you know, because there's words for it and that's where we see a big problem where 
people, particularly w when people fall into this trap of the left brain and they get all in the here, and then suddenly language becomes real to them. Language becomes not just a means to an end, language becomes the end in and of to itself. And so language is reality. And so that's one of the really interesting things we see with our species. And so for a really long time, most people got that language was an imperfect way to describe the world. And then what, and again, it's not just me, there's other people, Ian McGillcrest, people uh, who have said that cultures around the world have become dominated by the left brain. And when we became dominated by the left brain, we suddenly started buying into this idea that language was reality. And so if you think language is reality, then you become very obsessed with language. But like you said, if you think, well, language is just a pointer, and then you realize that maybe we're both, we're using different language, but we're pointing to the same uh, deeper meaning. And then we connect and we say, well, you know, we're on the same vibration, we're on the same page, whatever metaphor you use. Um, but, if you, but if you stay there and you get into this and you, and you stay in language, then it's like, you know, staring at a post that says, no, here's where you should be going, but you're just staring at it and, you're, and you think, well, this is the only place I'm going to go. You don't get that it's just a pointer. And so that deeper reality, though, um, the reason that deeper reality, whatever it is, whatever consciousness is, which is who we really are, we're not this, this conceptual idea that the left brain has created. Whoever we really are cannot be put into words. It cannot, it's beyond a concept. And for some people, that is a very big disappointment because the left brain desperately wants to turn reality into something that can be talked about. But I'm convinced after, you know, 55 years of being in this meat suit that there's just limitations to the mind. And, and, it, and it can't put the universe into words that can be easily understood. And so when people say, well, who am I really? So, okay, I get the self-illusion thing. I'm not the concept of Chris. I'm not the concept of my age. I'm not the concept of my gender. I'm not the concept. I'm, I, I, I'm something else. You just touched on something super interesting. You know, that there are limitations of the mind. And as soon as you said that, something inside of me said, is it? Is it limited? And then I started thinking, well, obviously we must somewhere, I don't know, this generation, many generations, this civilization, whatever, there's something that has been, there's something happened that has given us this illusion that we are limited, you know, because, you know, you kind of seem like you're in the same gig as me, which is like human potential. Like, what are we really like capable of and, and this is what we this is what gives me my drive i'm like how much more are we are we yeah and uh yeah i think the brain the mind is is limitless there is no limit but there are limitations you know like we've we've created them somewhere like and, they've been created and that's see see we're having that exact same issue right now like when you say mind well i'll just what i'd say mind i'm talking about the limited left brain that is a problem solver that thinks in concepts and it thinks in language but now when i talk about awareness or consciousness right use this phrase clear consciousness because it's clear of any left brain thoughts that is a intelligence that is far beyond anything that the left brain can really conceptualize so that's the duality of our human species 
we've got this limited one thing at a time processor in our left brain, but we got this infinite creative processing system in the right. And you, every more, like right now, every, the real choice that we have as a human being is which do you want to identify with? And you can identify with this conceptual, categorical, language-based system. And as soon as you stop thinking, then all of a sudden, the other system, you become more aware of the other system and how that is far more who you really are. Mm. And that, that system is infinite. That system is immeasurable, uh, creative. That's where every idea comes from. And, you know, is, that outside, you know, is that outside the body, the mind? You know, I, like there's this, tap, this, this being able to tap into what some people might call source, higher self, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. Like, is that what that is? Yeah, I mean, think about any creative thought that anyone in, in a, who's listening to this, think about any thought that you've had that was creative. Where did it come from? Chances are it didn't come from you. It didn't. So like when I write these books, I'm like, I didn't write anything. Like all I did is go for a walk and this stuff just appeared in, in, in my awareness and I just wrote it down. And so, I mean, all these creative things that people come up with, and Einstein, you know, if you think of him as like such a prototypical creative genius, and he was so clear about this. He realized that he would think for a while, and then he had to get into a state of non-thinking. And as soon as he stopped thinking, then the creative solution immediately appeared to him. Mm. And that, that's that shift from the left brain problem solver, which is about survival, to the right brain, which is far more interested in climbing a mountain or you know, winning Wimbledon, you know, it's, it wants to see what the, what we can do as human beings. What is the maximum experience that we can get as human beings? And that yeah. I think is the way God works through us. You know, we are that vessel that, that, that this is greater intelligence is, is exploring, seeing what we can really do as human beings. What, what, what is our potential? Exactly. I want to. I want to. I want a quick, quick fire. So, like, we're looking quick fire answers for these questions because you know I just want to pull out some magic before we start wrapping this up. So, let's just go to some of the people here. Richard is asking, "How do you know Mark is made up?" Where's the empathetic evidence? <laughs> um, Interesting question. I mean, is that the, you mean the idea? Like, how do I know? Like. That the ego is an illusion yeah i think uh i think i can answer that one for you richard it's like um you don't i mean it's all made up you know if we go really deep and sometimes i have to be depending on what i'm doing who, who who's with me what business activity i don't want to blow people's minds too much and so on else i read a lot from is dolores cannon and she says things like you know their mind, the human mind is not ready for it right now. So like they, this, this higher, you know, intelligence, they don't, they'll release it when we're ready because it will just melt your mind. So, you know, to be fair, Richard, it's all made up. We just make, we making it up every day. Like everything we made up, money is made up. This is made up. I'm made up. Chris is made up. You're made up. That's, that's all of that. Let's have a look at this question. What's your thoughts of the beautiful, very powerful autistic brain? Yeah, well, you know, it's so interesting when you look at humans, how we're going on this adventure and we use the left brain as sort of this guiding force and it's gotten so far, but the way the left brain 
functions is in categories. And I didn't go into this too much, but that's what language is about. Think about any word, like the word dog. It's a, it's a sound that represents a whole range of, think of it as a variability, all kinds of different dogs. But we just use one word and it, it takes like a cartoon picture of reality. And so we can think about that in a lot of different ways. And that's, what, that's the way human beings think. We, we, we split people like male, female. We just split them into these really simplistic categories. And that's fine because that's the way that most of us think. But nature has been so really genuinely beautiful to us in the sense that there's so much individuality. And so when we take a look at the brain and you say, well, you know, here's the way this, you know, the average brain should function. But then nature is, has, has so much variability, like go out and find, you know, two blades of grass that look the same. And why does, so nature must have some fascination with variability. And so I think that when we get into the brain, we're going we're gonna to start appreciating that the brain, that there's no normal brain, you know, normal, as they say, is like a cycle on your washing machine. You know, it's like, it's, 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 it, there, there's no real normality when it comes to human beings and particularly the way the brain is expressing itself. And so instead of categorizing and saying, well, you know, this is, you know, an average brain and, and then we use the word normal. And, and I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna start appreciating variability and I think what we find with, um, you know, different uh, experience of how the brain is functioning, we'll find that it's, uh, that there's a lot of beauty in uh, variability. And, mm. I, and I think God loves um, uh, diversity. And if God didn't love diversity, why is it everywhere in nature? You know, no two trees. Why wouldn't trees just all look the same? But they don't. They all have this subtle, you know, individual expression of who they are. And uh, you see that everywhere on the planet and everywhere in the galaxy. I mean, yeah, you could say, well, this galaxy is the same as that one, but they're not. That's, so when you, like, when you have an average workday and you say, oh, it's Monday, and the, that's the left brain just taking this beautifully diverse reality that you've only experienced one time, like every moment is an original moment. But the left brain turns that into a cartoon like, oh, this is a Monday, and it's all the same. Mm, absolutely. So let's tap into this then. Um, we have our weekly uh, mastermind at starting at eight o'clock, which is about 15 minutes away. So I want to really dig, dig into this. So let's say, you know, I've set myself this goal. I want to win Wimbledon next year. I, you know, you normally people play tennis from five years old to make this happen. Yeah. So like, what's, what's my chances? when it comes to the mind, you know, like, you know, is it, is it all in the mind? Is it going to come down to the body? Is it like, how do I tap into this brilliance and use this brain to allow me to achieve this? You know, one of the really interesting things is, and I'm sure your audience is familiar with the, the uh, four minute mile barrier that held runners back for so long. And isn't it interesting, as soon as someone broke it, then it got broken again very quickly and again very quickly, and it just needed someone to break it. Chris said it right there. Chris just said, I can win Wimbledon. Did you hear that, everybody? Did you hear that, everybody? <laughs> yeah, so, hey, listen, I'm, I, I believe that I, that I can do it. Now, I'm going to be totally open. Like, has doubt set in once I've started on this adventure? Yeah, absolutely. When I started figuring out what it takes, there's only 100. Oh, my God, it's gone. Yeah, what it takes um, is 128 people only going to be in here. Uh, I hope Chris can get back here pretty sharpish because 
Uh, yes, he's back straight away. Yeah. Um, here he is. Yeah. Hello, Chris. Oh, come on. Hope you're here. Hope you can uh, log in here. Yeah. So, like Chris just said, it, I can win Wimbledon. And, um, you know, but doubt does, does set in sometimes. So, it's about how do I maintain that? So, literally, I'm filling my mind. This is my strategy at the moment. I am filling my mind. Yeah. I'm filling my mind with. Um, good data. I'm watching documentaries on the Williams sisters. I'm doing research. By the way, the oldest person to win Wimbledon. Guess how old, everyone? Come on, wherever you're watching this, put it in the chat. Guess how old? Yeah, exactly the same age as I am right now. Yeah, the oldest person to win Wimbledon. What about the lowest ranked person ever to win a Grand Slam was a 212th in the world and they won, they won a Grand Slam. Guess what his name was. Have a guess what his name was. Yeah. His name was Mark. Yes, it was. Yeah, so the oldest person was 35. Jack, I hope he wasn't saying 40 because he's the same age as me, you know, because you, you'd have put 20 else. Um, yes, Chris is back. So, Chris, let me just bring you up today what we're talking about. Uh, so we let's recap. Um, Chris said I can win Wimbledon. Uh, because it's like the four minute mile but but that's what it's about and i was just telling the viewers here like you know what i started to do is yeah get some doubt but now i want to go muhammad ali and conor mcgregor style and just say no i'm gonna win wimbledon i'm gonna win i'm gonna win i'm gonna win filling my mind with all the data so i'm watching documentaries i'm seeing people can do it you know i'm, I'm training i'm, I'm changing everything i'm doing to focus towards winning tennis my workouts you know someone manipulating my muscles making sure my body's flexible um, I've started getting a coach, um, lots of tennis. Anyway, so um, what I then uh, realized is that the oldest person ever to win Wimbledon was 35. I'm 35 now. I'll be 36 by the time I win it, just. Uh, but that that adds more data. The, the lowest ranked player ever to win a Grand Slam was 212th in the world. And this is my left brain stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. 212th in the world. Guess what his name was? His name was Mark. Yeah, Mark Edmondson of Australia is the is lowest ranked player. So anyway, I, I've, I've found fun in finding these stats. And uh, my, I think my job, Chris, is to be able to distinguish and separate between, you know, left. I never really seen it as left and right brain, but like almost like self, ego, and like potential all that there is and, and and let that kind of drop in like you say no self no problem so if i want to win wimbledon i just need to remove myself and then i have no problem and it sounds easy yeah but, but it takes training so i'm still working out yes can can the body can this body perform well enough to win Wimbledon, like we got to ask ourselves that, like maybe not everybody, the answer is yes. I think this body is capable. So then where is the rest of the component required? Surely it's here. Well, you know, one of my favorite um, studies was when they went in with people with ridiculous knee pain. I mean, some of these people were in wheelchairs, their knees were hurting so bad. 
And then they split them into two different groups. And one got a sham surgery. So they took them in, they anesthetized them, they cut the knee, but they did not do the effective part, which would actually cure the knee. The other group got the real knee surgery. When they came out, they were absolutely identical in terms of pain relief. One guy who was uh, bound to a wheelchair came out, he was in the sham surgery. So he did not have anything effectively done to his knee. The only thing that changed was he believed that he had had the knee surgery. He went from being in a wheelchair to dancing with his wife, and he said he was completely free of pain. Now that, if that isn't a mystery, uh, how do we go? Because with, just by simply shifting an expectation, but the subtle thing about this is, is it's not the kind of belief where you can just do self-talk, where you can just say, you know, I'm going to win this game. I'm going to, and, and in fact, that, those things you sometimes can backfire. If I, if I could summarize the, the attitudes of the left and right sides of the brain, the left side of the brain is about survival. It plays it safe. The right side of the brain has a completely different attitude. The right side of the brain says the leap and the bridge will appear. That's a completely different way of living life. And that is what it's like. It's so interesting you say that. So I don't know how many people will be able to relate to this, but this is what it's like when I'm practicing the serve. And I'm thinking like, I've got to get it in. And, and, and what you just said there, you can't just say, I'm going to win, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. Uh, it's, got to, it's got to be real. And, you know, the sir, I watch these guys and the mind says, hey, these guys have been playing since three years old. What chance do you have? And then I tell someone else, hey, I'm going to win Wimbledon next year. When did you start playing? Well, August 2022. What, last month? <laughs> and they start laughing at me. Yeah, and just say impossible and, and all of this. Yeah. So, but then when I look at it, I'm like, well, hold on a second. You know, based on what you're saying, you give me a real confidence boost. The service, like when I'm thinking, you know, come on, get it in, you know, do this. When he says, just hit it, you know, just do this, you know, just be natural. And I'm like, okay, I'm not trying to get it in the box. Then I pull off one of the best serves. So, So like myself is in the way yep. so this this body is capable of hitting a fast serve into the box so, so like surely chris it's only this yeah well think about beginner's luck i mean how many times you know the person who's never played darts before and they just they have no expectations and they throw it and they hit a bullseye and, and all of a sudden you know we have this phrase beginner's luck and what beginner's luck is is the no expectation performance and so, so you're not trying to make the shot. You let the body take over. The body knows. I mean, think about what's going on right now. You know, we're digesting food. We're beating our hearts. We're, our brain has, you know, um, you know, so many different synapses that it, it, it would overwhelm the thinking mind. And yet we're, we're doing our blood chemistry. We're keeping our body within a certain range of temperature. And I'm only touching on like one of tens of thousands of things that we're doing right now. And we're doing, that's, a, that's what I mean by the greater intelligence. That is an intelligence that is capable of doing all this all at once. And then the thinking mind is so limited. It, it, I mean, I'm talking about the left brain. It just can't handle that because it's too much information. And so when we, we just turn down that left brain a little bit, um, or again, for a lot of people, that's very hard to do. You say, turn down the left brain. And they'll say, well, I, I, I can't do it. And I say, well, you know, just become the observer of the language going on in your skull. Become the observer. It's like my son, he's doing soccer right now and, and he's, at, he's, he's 14, he's very good, but he gets in these situations where he starts wanting to win. And I say, when you want to win, what you're doing is you're taking your attention away from the game and you're getting caught up in your thinking mind. 
because the thinking mind wants to win and the thinking mind wants to be the hero of the game. But that takes your attention away from effectively using this meat suit. And so you go, you go back to the game, you start focusing on the game and you, and you let the body do what it already knows how to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, what you're saying right there as well is like, body knows what to do. I'm going to train this body. It's one year away. So surely the body can be a shit. I just got to stay injury free. Yeah. And then I just got to be aware of this, you know, like I, I'm going to win because all I'm going to do is just hit the next ball over the net. That's, that's going to be, that's my strategy. I'm just going to hit the next ball over the net. Okay. The score. Okay. The rounds. Okay. The tournaments I've got to win to even qualify for this thing, but I'm just going to hit the next ball over the net. Yeah. Stay in the moment and everything will be fine. Uh, when I was, I actually put this in the book, I think when I was in my first martial arts match and very easily got the first point. And then I, my left brain took over and said, you're going to win this. And it got obsessed with winning. And I lost very quickly because I wasn't in the moment anymore. I got distracted by my thinking mind. Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to play in this pool league when I was about, how old would I have been? 17, 18, 19, somewhere around there. Probably like, yeah, about 17, maybe I think. I used to play in this pool league, you know, like, uh, and, and like I would pot a few balls. Yeah. And then like, I was like, oh, I can win here. And then I'd get to the black. And I'll be like bottling, like like an easiest shot, like the, not the easiest, but like I've pulled off much harder shots during the game. But because of black is like, oh, if I miss, you know, his balls are lined up. If I miss, he's going to put his, like all of a sudden, yeah, I miss, you know, and, and leave it over the jaw or something crazy like that. Um, Jack is asking, Jack is one of our members here. He's saying, how do we apply the left, right brain thing <laughs> to property and business? Okay, that's a that's a great question, and when when people say, well, you know, this the ego, the self is an illusion, it gets so easy to confuse that with like, should I just give everything away, and should I just you know live in the woods and 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 so you say, I mean, how do you integrate this with with your life? And I mean, you could look around. I mean, I could show you my guitar collection, and you know, I I enjoy that, and I enjoy my sports car, and um, you know would enjoy, you know, expanding out a little bit with some more property and real estate and all that. And you say, well, how does that really fit with the left, right brain thing? I mean, you know, and so the way I look at it is, again, let me give you another way you can look at the left and right sides of the brain, probably maybe the most important. The left side of the brain is terribly serious. It's that part that's like, I must win and, 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 and everything. It's the part that gets offended. It's the part that takes the self serious when you're laying, in, you know, awake in bed, and it's the it's the part that has all of your problems, you know, all, because you're taking it all very seriously. Is that why, like, one word or one sentence can really yeah. like screw someone up? Oh, one little thing, or you know, we've got these finger symbols. One person shoots you a finger <laughs> symbol, and and you you know, your whole left brain overreacts, and it's like a finger. It's like it's not a big deal, but the right side is so different because the right side plays. And this is why we say we play music. You know, we don't work music. You go to work because you take work seriously, but you play music. And so when I talk to people about how you get, how do you work, whether it's making money or um, enjoying the material world, because this world is here in so many ways for us to absolutely enjoy and experience that all kinds of diverse experiences. So I absolutely love being in my sports car, going around a curve really fast. To me, that this meatbot suit loves that. It's, it's a wonderful experience. But here's the trick. 
it's a difference between play and taking things seriously. So you can get into real estate, you can get into you know property, you can get into any of that. With a sense of play, it's never going to bring along the suffering. And see that when you take things seriously, it's almost a sure recipe for suffering. Because then when you lose, you really lose. And you it's attachment. It's what the Buddha talked about with desire. And all of a sudden it's um, you know, if this does if this doesn't work out exactly the way I want it to, I'm an I am a failure. You're bringing the self into it. I have failed. But you don't have that when you have a sense of play. When, when you know when you have a sense of play, even if you hit the wrong note, it, it was meant to be. And it, and it, you know, all the wrong directions become really interesting avenues that you're so glad that you actually got to explore. And so that sense of play is something that so many of us we've lost we had as kids. You know, kids don't take things very seriously. That's why when you're playing a game with a kid, they sometimes break all the rules and lose on purpose. And then they laugh about it. <laughs> you, just answered, you just answered a big, it wasn't even a question I had, but you just made me realize something by saying that, you know, like I found myself, you know, building business at 23 and uh, I was the, I was like, you know, the youngest person on the, let's say the team. And then three years later, I found myself on a board of directors and uh, I was the youngest person and like everyone was so serious and I'm like and, and I always bought like this jovial thing and then I started to think that oh is this kind of like they're not taking me serious although I was producing excellent results by the way for the business and for the team and everything um but but, but like I may I think it made them see me like oh you know he's just a kid yeah although I was producing you know better results than anybody else in any other department and uh you just answered that for me it's like yeah i think the reason why i was doing so well is because i was just jovial about it i was like yeah whatever we're gonna do it yeah okay we'll slide this way we'll slide that way we'll make this turn we'll make this rather than sitting there going oh my goodness you know these numbers and these stats and oh you know we need to get even better like be so serious about the game uh, and i think even with my property investing and to help you know just to go on to what jack is saying is uh yeah don't like what are you saying here chris don't take it so serious jack you know just play the game and i was actually on the phone today with someone we were talking about a property deal that actually has has gone wrong uh we say wrong like you know it's just not gone the way planned you know but but i i deal with this and have dealt with this for, for a long time now so i was just like yeah it's just something we've got to do where someone else they're pulling their hair out yeah so so for me this is kind of like fun i mean when everything's going well i don't even hear anything i don't have to go to the property nobody asks me any questions you know work gets done we just pay the money and that's it you know that's actually quite boring <laughs> and people will say that sounds like a dream but like when these other things happen it's like i see them as waves so you just got to see them as waves and ride them and yeah. just get get your surfboard out don't try swimming into them you know because that will you will it will kill you <laughs> and that's what happens yeah oh my goodness we have gone over uh the people who are running the mastermind are going to be going crazy saying well why are you keeping the people away from the mastermind um so let's wrap this up chris it's been absolutely amazing so i've got two more questions to ask you so the first one is let's say if you've got a message for the world you've got a microphone right now and it translate translates to every uh language across the world what is your 30 second message to the world Oh, this, I mean, this is almost a cliche thing now in some circles. Don't believe everything you think. 
And so we have all kinds of thoughts. Most of them are wrong. Most of them are misleading. Most of them are uh, paranoid and, and because we had to be in the past. But this thinking system in the left brain, learn to play with it. Learn to have some fun with it. And so if you've, you've got some medical tests and you could, this is such a great spiritual practice because you've got medical tests. And of course you can start seeing the mind work. It, it's so confident that these tests are gonna be negative or you know, uh, bad results. And so uh, you know, that's why we create stress and then we create worry. But when you start realizing that playful attitude with these thoughts, you go, oh, there's the thought, there's the thinking machine again. There's my left brain. And of course it's paranoid. Of course it thinks these tests are gonna be horrible. And then it takes some of the seriousness out of it. And so whatever, when you go through your day, which we've spent about half of our day thinking useless thoughts, learn to not believe everything you think. Ah, that is beautiful. Next time I start thinking I can't win Wimbledon, I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> and it's amazing to me. I've had my students work on projects with this. When you start working, like keep, a, keep track, keep a journal, how often your thoughts are wrong and you will be so surprised. You know, it could be because the thought, particularly with some of us, like when I was so neurotic when I was young, none of it was true. It was a story that was paranoid and it wasn't fun. You know, it was, it was filled with suffering and, you know, sadness and depression. And that's what sadness and depression and anxiety all are, taking a story seriously. And, mm -hmm. and if you think of it as a movie playing. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it shifts from... <sighs> Being truly sad to, to just seeing, you know, sure, sadness comes along once in a while. If you take it seriously, then you think it's permanent. If you, if you see it as like maybe a, um, you know, just a, a one uh, note in a song and it's going to pass, like you think about the rain. So it's raining and really bad. And you can, and again, you can complain about it or you can dance in it. And you, we always have that choice. Absolutely. Fantastic. So I just got one more question that I always finish on. And um, before I ask that, I just want to say, Chris, amazing. I think uh, if you're willing, we would love to have you back on at some point in the future. Sure. Uh, th 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 this is such a vast thing that can help so many people. I mean, the big takeaway for me is like, yeah, just don't believe uh, uh, anything I'm thinking. And also the biggest takeaway is that you said I can win Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually do. I mean, this, when you're talking about human potential, that's what we're really getting at. What are we capable of when we no longer listen to the limitations the left brain has set on us? What are we capable of? Um, you know, I'm. When it, when it Wimbledon. <laughs> that, maybe world peace. I mean, it, it could be Everything. pretty amazing stuff. That's what we're going to do. So here's the question. Here's the question. Yeah, in our community, we have this saying. Yeah, that saying is that we can never let people forget that they must do the right thing for the right reason. Now, why is that? Well, that's a that's a great one. You know, I'm I'm reminded of this um, saying from the East that I picked up early from one of one, Alan Watts's lectures, and he said, um, uh, "When the wrong person uses the right means, the right means work in the wrong way." And I, the reason I like that saying so much is because it showed us how systemic everything is, you know? And so it's like doing the right thing, but then, you know, it's got to, it's got, the, the, the vibe has to match the bigger picture. And so the, the reason, the action, and, and this is really what, so the Buddha had an eightfold path and everything was about right 
language, right, mindfulness. And what he was get, really getting at with that um, outline was giving people a method that they could connect themselves. Because we say right, well, what is right? Being right is not seeing yourself as a separate individual thing fighting the universe. Being right is being harmoniously connected to the bigger picture. And so we say doing the right thing for the right reason, that's just like saying, like, be one. It's kind of a simpler way of, of saying be one with the universe. <laughs> nice. Wow, fantastic. Thank you. So, like, we have, we, so that's great. And I always ask people, you know, we like to add that to our reel. Um, but I was just wondering if I can ask you again, because we have a saying that we say you've got to do the right thing for the right reason, because that's the only way to discover your true potential. Can I ask you again and you say that? Sure. So, awesome. Okay. So, let me ask the question. You, you do that. So, it's, it's because it's the only way to discover your true potential. Yeah. So, hey, Chris, we've got this saying in our community that you, uh, you've got to do the right thing for the right reason. Now, why is that? Because, well, there's an old saying from the East that uh, if the wrong no, thing... So, no, so you got so you got to say, because it's the only way to discover your true potential. Oh, you lost me on that one. <laughs> yeah, so like, I got your answer. Now oh. I want to say, I want to ask you and you say, because it's the only way to discover your true potential. Oh, I got you. Sorry about yeah. that. Okay. No, that's okay. One more shot. Yeah, so you got to do the right thing for the right reason. Now, why is that? Because it's the only way to discover your true potential. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I think so much value in it, uh, in here. We definitely got to schedule something else. Uh, thank you for everyone uh, listening, whether it's uh, live or on a replay. And uh, we'll see you again. And remember what Chris said. He said, number one, I can win Wimbledon. But he also said, you've got to do the right thing for the right reason, because that's the only way you discover your true potential. Thank you, everyone.